Did the dog get the paper girl again? No, I think she got away. Aurora of the Yukon, Chapter 11 From Montreal Marie to Copper Canyon Why did my mom get so upset when the bank manager in Dawson thought she was named Montreal Marie? My diary, on board the Sternwheeler SS Canadian, Yukon River, September 19, 1898. C'est fini, said Maman as we waited on the riverbank. Nous rentrons à Montréal. She meant that we were giving up and going back to Montreal. We waited a whole day on the riverbank. Maman made me wear the nicest dress I had left. I had a nice hat, too, that I had snuck into my pack in Skagway. It wasn't the right color for my dress, but I don't think those things matter so much in the Yukon. Or at least not at Kirkman Creek. Eve is wearing his three musketeer hat, plus a nice blue cape that Maman had made for him out of a blanket that the squirrels had eaten. D'Artagnan had been washed and combed. Finally, we heard another whistle. It was the Nora. I remembered when it passes on Marsh Lake, and the captain blew the whistle. But the Nora didn't seem to plan to stop at Kirkman Creek, either. Maman stood up straight and put her arm in the air. She looked just like one of the rich ladies outside the Montreal train station when they wanted a carriage driver to pick them up. To Uncle Thibault's amazement, the whistle blew and we saw the paddles go into reverse right away as the captain steered the boat to the shore. I guess it's not every day a Sternwheeler captain sees a lady in a dress with a little girl and a six-year-old boy in a three-musketeer costume. No, we don't need any firewoods, sir, said the captain to Uncle Thibault. But you're welcome aboard, ma'am, he said with a smile. The crew put down a plank. We kissed Uncle Thibault. Maman hugged him as if the day before had never happened. We said goodbye and then scrambled onto the ship. We were at Dawson City the next day. Maman marched us to the Bank of Commerce. She had a gold necklace that her mother had given her. She was going to sell it at the bank. Maman wasn't sure how long we would stay in Dawson. She said she might have to get a job to get enough money for tickets back to Montreal. As we walked through Dawson, it was kind of scary. The city was full of people. It was like Skagway, but ten times as big. There was shouting and noise coming out of nearly every building. The streets were full of people and horses and carriages. The streets were made of mud, and the horses and carriages made deep, muddy holes. Eve got stuck in the mud right over his boots and nearly got run over by a lumber wagon. Several men whistled at Mama. We nearly ran the last block to the bank. Once inside, everyone was very nice to us. There was a lady in a fancy dress, and we waited in line behind her. She had a small leather bag of gold that was getting weighed so she could get money for it. She looked rich. She smiled at us and pulled some hard candies out of her purse, for Eve and me. Hi, sweetie, she said to Eve. Eve smiled. You have a lot of gold. Do you wear different clothes when you mine it? She laughed. No, honey, I don't. These are the best clothes for getting gold. Come see my show, she smiled at Mama. The early one, probably. Here's your money, Miss Rockwell, said the clerk. Suddenly I realized it was Kitty Rockwell from our ship to Skagway. She looked so fancy and we looked so dirty that we hadn't recognized each other. She gave me a big hug or at least as much of a hug as she could give me without getting mud all over her dress. She asked all about our adventures. Then she gave us each a dollar. For more sweets. It was more money than I'd ever had. Then she smiled and gave her card to Maman. It had her address in fancy letters and was written on paper that smelled like perfume. Then she kissed us goodbye and left. I could tell Maman was dying with curiosity about what she had said, but we were next in line with the bank clerk and I didn't have time to translate. I explained that we had to sell a necklace to get money to go back to Montreal. He said that they usually only bought gold dust. Not very many people brought gold to the Yukon in the shape of necklaces, I guess, but he agreed to buy it. He filled out a form with Maman's name. Marie Cosinette from Montreal. He stopped suddenly and looked up. Wow, first I meet Klondike Kate and now Montreal Marie? Are you really Montreal Marie? I explained this to Maman in French. He wants to know if you are really Marie from Montreal. Maman smiled and nodded. The man was very impressed. Montreal Marie, in person. 
You sure are classier than I expected, even in your er traveling clothes, if I may say so. My friends love your show at the Palace Grand Theatre. I was going to go next week if you haven't gone back to Montreal, I guess. Maybe we could have dinner or something before you go? He looked strangely at Eve and me. I explained all this to Mama. She looked puzzled for a moment. Then her jaw dropped and she went completely white. I thought she might slap the man. The man was disappointed when I said she, he must be thinking of another Marie from Montreal, since my mother wasn't famous. We left the bank and headed for the sternwheeler dock. Can we go to the Palace Grand and see the other Montreal Marie? asked Eve. Mama just pursed her lips and walked faster. She practically dragged Eve and me through the mud down to the ticket office. We got tickets on the first boat out of Dawson City. We waited on the dock for our boat, the SS Canadian. While we waited to leave Dawson, Mama told us the story from the Bible about the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. I guess they had a gold rush there too in the old days and did a lot of the same bad things that happened in Dawson City. Anyway, the SS Canadian was a fancy new boat that had just arrived in the Yukon. They sailed it all the way up the Yukon River from where it goes into the Pacific Ocean near Russia. Most of the people had their own cabins, but to save money we were in second class again. Second class means something different in the Yukon. It would be more like fifth or sixth class in Montreal, I think. We slept on the floor in our sleeping bags on the deck where the freight went. Most of the other passengers there were dogs or miners, so the crew stacked the boxes of freight to make a little booth for us. That way we could have a bit of privacy. The captain was very nice. He showed Eve and me all around the ship. A sternwheeler is a very interesting place. You should go on one if you get the chance. We started at the bow, which is what they call the front of the ship. The anchor and big winches are there. The winches pull giant steel ropes to help get the ship through five-finger rapids or off an unexpected sandbar in the river. Then there's the boiler. It is huge and red-hot. One man's job is just to fill it with wood all day long to keep the engines going. Then there's the kitchen, right at the back, or stern as they call it, is the pantry. Spray from the paddle wheel goes up in the air and lands on the roof and walls of the pantry. This keeps it cool, which is perfect for the fresh food they store there. The captain reached into a big barrel in the pantry and gave us each a huge Dawson carrot. It's sunny all day long in Dawson, so the vegetables are huge. Don't worry about food on the SS Canadian, kids. Tonight, I'll have the chef bring you and your mama some dinner from the dining room. He pulled the fancy menu out of his pocket. Tonight, we're having roast loin of Stuart River mousse with Dawson potatoes au gratin and Yukon blueberry pie for dessert. Then we went up to the saloon deck. That's where the first-class passengers have their cabins and dining room. The dining room was lovely, with big windows on the front and both sides of the ship. You could sit in there and see the scenery for miles. We also visited the captain's wheelhouse, where they steer the ship. It had a great view, with tall chairs so the captain could see easily out the windows and down the sides of the ship. On the way back to Mamal, something terrible happened. I heard Mr. Cicero's voice. "'What's wrong, miss?' asked the captain. "'Just seasick, I guess,' I said. "'Strange,' he replied. "'No waves around here. But don't worry. I'll get you back to your mamma.' I put my hand over my face as if I felt ill and quickly walked past the cabin where Mr. Cicero was. That night, after it was dark, I crawled out of my sleeping bag and crept up to the saloon deck. It was pitch dark, except for the spotlights the captain used at night to see the banks of the river, and for the dining room. Bright lights and laughter spilled out of it. I crawled around on the deck, under the windows, until I could hear Mr. Cicero's voice. He was talking to a young woman and an older man. I poked my head up for a moment to see what they looked like. I made sure I did it at a window that was closed, and when the captain's searchlights were on the other side of the ship. I did that because I knew that when you were inside a brightly lit room, the windows looked like mirrors. You can't see out. But they could have seen me if I'd tried to look through an open window with no glass, or if the captain's searchlight made it suddenly bright outside where I was hiding. The young woman looked like she was about my mom's age. She spoke English with an American accent and wore very nice clothes. 
They were proper like Mamal's, but I think they were more in style. She was also dressed all in black, like Mamal's morning clothes, just after Papa died. She must be a widow, too. The man looked like he was her uncle or something. Mr. Cicero was telling them all about a new copper mine near Whitehorse. Copper Canyon, it's called, with two capital Ks. He said, I couldn't understand much of what he said. He used words like investment, rich pay dirt this year, and diversified. I guess that the widow had lots of money that her husband had left when he had died, and that Mr. Cicero wanted to get his hands on it. The woman would ask questions about mining, but she always seemed to get things mixed up. Even I already knew that placer gold was the kind of gold you find in creek gravel with a gold pan, and then you get copper from mining the hard rock underground. The uncle didn't seem to know much more, but he acted like he knew everything. As for Mr. Cicero, he was always very nice to them, even when they said something silly, just like he was to us in Skagway. I went back to my mall and told her that since we would be going to back to school in Montreal, I really wanted to learn my schoolwork. So we mostly stayed on the second-class deck and worked on exercises. This made her happy and made it less likely that Mr. Cicero would spot us. Each night, after my mall fell asleep, I would sneak back upstairs and listen again. I almost got caught by the first mate when he was smoking outside one night, but I spotted him thanks to his cigarette. I didn't overhear much more, except the widow and her uncle talking. It turned out that I was right about her being a widow and inheriting a lot of money. As we came into Whitehorse, Eve and I were standing at the railing. We couldn't wait to see Kip again. As the SS Canadian came upstream, we suddenly saw Kip on the dock. All the adults were at one end, but Kip was standing at the other. He was standing still with his arms sticking straight out. Meanwhile, a little girl with curly blonde hair and a yellow dress seemed to dance all around him. She went around him three times, fluttering her arms, and then sank to the ground and lay still. I was very curious about what she was doing. I thought she looked like a little fairy except with no wings. That must be Kip's little sister. Her name is Papillon, I told Eve. Papillon is French for butterfly. You pronounce it Papillon. I don't know why they named her Papillon instead of Marie or something, but I'm glad they did. It's a very pretty name. Eve was going to shout, but I told him not to in case Mr. Cicero saw us. We waited for the first-class passengers to get off. Most of them went across Front Street to the White Pass Hotel. Then we got off. Kip was very excited to see us. He introduced us to Papillon. She was making me be a tree, so she could pretend to be a leaf falling in autumn, he said. She has the biggest imagination in the Yukon. Papillon smiled. Her blue eyes twinkled shyly at me. She had one dimple on her left cheek, which was like an exclamation point when she smiled. Kip, I wasn't a leaf. I was the sunshine fairy, getting sad and sleepy because summer was over. Kip was a good big brother, I thought. A lot of boys would never play with their little sister like that. Papillon wasn't shy anymore. She held my hand as we talked to my mom. Plus, she seemed to know a lot for a girl who was just a year and a half older than Eve. She spoke French, too. You can take the last boat from Whitehorse to Bennett, she said. It leaves tomorrow. The railway isn't at Bennett yet, but it's snowy in the mountains already, and you can take a dog sled from Bennett to the summit. Mr. Robinson does it. He calls it the Red Line. Then they finished building the train tracks to the summit, so you could ride it right to Skagway. We all looked at her for a second. No one was sure what to say. Then she went on. But I'll be sad if you go. I think Aurora is like a brown-haired forest fairy. She should stay here in the Yukon. Papillon agreed to take Eve and Maman back to her house to see Kip's dad. They had a nice little house on the edge of Whitehorse near 6th Avenue and Steel Street. They had a barn for their horses and a big yard full of firewood. In the summer, Kip's father ran boats down to Dawson, but in the winter, he cut firewood for the people in Whitehorse. It looked like it was the kind of woodlot that people actually bought firewood from. Kip and I kept going with D'Artagnan. The dog had been on his leash for five days on the boat, so he really wanted to run.